Praise the Lord, guys. Uh, this is a message that is just burned into my heart uh, for years now. Uh, it's something I kind of get to share my testimony with you a little bit, but uh, is, I'm just going to go ahead and pray first. So, Lord Jesus, we just thank you uh, for bringing a group of people together that for no other means than just wanting to love you and know who you are are here. I just pray, God, that your just presence of grace, of meekness, um, and a power just rest on our congregation. Uh, use this word to bless their, their weeks and their lives and uh, just really make an impact. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, so kind of a precursor to my message, uh, I grew up in a, a very conservative Christian home. If you guys are familiar with Calvary Chapel, is a, a group of churches that started in California. My, my dad was a part of that. My, my mom was in and out of churches growing up, and they met in Campus Crusade for Christ. So growing up, I, I had a really good Christian upbringing. In fact, uh, I remember very vividly giving my life to the Lord after watching like a movie that was produced in the 80s about the, uh, the crucifixion of Christ. And I saw him there. I remember as, as even a six-year-old kid, this is amazing that someone would want to do that because I'm a sinner, because there's sin. And I received that into my life. remember uh, going to my dad's little office in our house in Athel, Idaho, and asking him to pray with me so I could receive Jesus. Uh, and I remember a very distinct shift in my thought processes at that point. Uh, and so growing up, uh, I read my Bible every night, prayed for uh, my family, prayed to the Lord, and asked God to make me a better Christian. Uh, just great things that you would want your kid to do as a young child. Uh, but getting into junior high and high school, uh, I started completely giving myself over to more selfish ambitions, thinking I want to impress my peers, uh, try to go somewhere with my life um, to kind of be popular or, or maybe just for some approval from peers. But uh, there was very little relationship I had with Jesus during that time. Um, and I say that, uh, maybe it'll bless some of the youth here, uh, I was actively serving in church. I was actively serving in the children's ministry, and if you guys are familiar with the Awana programs, I was involved in that every single week uh, for years. Uh, graduated out of that, and I didn't really know Jesus. Uh, it's... It's something that I'm not even to this day sure if sometimes the Lord will actually put a veil over your own eyes uh, in your own experience. And I'm not sure if it was necessarily the church I grew up in or it's just God's plan for my life not to let me really know who he was until at the age of 19, uh, I moved out into an apartment and it was there that the, I had a really powerful encounter with the Lord while I was doing laundry of all things. Uh, <laughs> laundry will change your life. This is, a, this is a Tide advertisement. I hope they monetize that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it really did. It was a very powerful impact upon my life. Uh, I really felt like God spoke very specifically to me, calling out my sin, my idolatry, the things in my life that I was very much putting in front of him in my life. And there came a thought into my head, Aaron, you've been driving your life this whole time. Time to get in the trunk. And I wanted that. Because my whole life, you see, I'm struggling because I'm not seeking the Lord. I'm struggling with secret sins and addictions, things I bring in before my youth pastor. And I didn't realize at the time, but it was a plea in my heart. I don't want this as my life. I want to be free. I want to love people. But it was almost trapped in a cage of my own religious making. Uh, and so in this encounter I had with the Lord, I believe I had a very, the power of the Holy Spirit come upon my life. 
Um, and we can talk about everybody's going to have a different experience. Uh, my experience is not gospel truth, but I think there are some underlying factors, foundations, when the power of the Spirit comes upon your life. So that's what I'd like to talk about today. Now, unfortunately, here in America, uh, we've seen a lot of misrepresent- misrepresentations of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we've seen people that will act like animals. There's convulsing, shaking, things that actually make more sense when you look at demonic deliverance and the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so with that, I believe that much like a farmer would take a scarecrow to fend off birds from his crop, uh, the devil, he takes, the enemy takes these standards of what the Holy Spirit is and raises up bad standards. And we get afraid to push in and say, God, what does this mean for me and for my life? And so I want to get into scripture and just see what he says the experience of the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon you really is. So if you'll turn with me, let me get my slides going here. There we go. So really quick, the Holy Spirit. One of the things I'm actually running into uh, more with my peers is that a lot of people don't believe in the Trinity itself. They have some uh, misrepresented thoughts, and a lot of that comes from a lack of information. But I always point to them that there are over 160 references, direct references to the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Oftentimes it's referred to as the Spirit of God, and he's talked about as rushing upon prophets, individuals, even individuals in sin, ironically, such as Saul when he's pursuing David. Uh, So he's a very interesting person of the Trinity. Uh, In the New Testament, we have over 280 direct references, and that doesn't include whole chunks of Scripture, uh, such as John 14, 17, and Romans chapter 8. If you can give yourself some homework to go home, if you're really wanting to, and I really encourage you to, John 14, 17, and 8 are just extremely insightful passages, so take a note of that in your phone and just read them. Uh, But today we're going to be focusing on an encounter that the disciples had after Jesus' crucifixion, after his resurrection. So there's two different uh, distinct encounters with the Holy Spirit, and that's kind of what we're going to be focusing. First is the indwelling, or also referred to as the filling of the Holy Spirit, also mentioned as the sealing of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians. Uh, And there's a separate distinction of the power of the Holy Spirit or the coming upon of the Holy Spirit, the falling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, It's a very complex subject, and I really also want to encourage you guys. There's a Baptist all the way back in 1895 who passed away. His son took his preachings, put it in a book. His name is uh, A.J. Gordon. And he wrote this book called The Ministry of the Holy Spirit, and he talks about kind of these distinctions because it's much more complex than what a 30-minute message on a Sunday morning uh, can really capture. Uh, But that being said, thankfully we have the word so we can kind of clarify some of this stuff. So if you'll turn with me to John chapter 20, we're going to read verses 19 and 22. Uh, This is also a story that's referred to or an account referred to in the book of Luke as well. It's more chronological in Luke. Chapter 24, verses 36 through 49. But we're just going to go ahead and read this in John 20, 19 through 22. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Shalom, peace to you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. Excuse me, I missed a part there. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, Then the disciples were glad that they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, shalom. 
As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. A commission. Jesus has a plan and a calling for his disciples to go and tell them about the resurrection of what he did, sacrifice of sins, sacrifice for sins, excuse me. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive uh, the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold the uh, forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And I'll tell you what, guys, when I read this passage I, uh, in high school, it was very confusing to me because I thought the Holy Spirit was in Acts chapter 2 and Pentecost and all this stuff. But I'll tell you, when Jesus says something through the gospel accounts, whether it's be healed, whether it's come out of him, referring to a demonic uh, work in somebody's life, it happens. The wind and the wave, it happens. And I'll tell you what the church needs today is a fresh word from the Lord saying, arise, take up your bed and walk. Receive the Holy Spirit. You better believe those disciples all received the Holy Spirit in that moment. There are direct references from Jesus, and and I'm just putting them up here in this verse here, uh, in this uh, section here. There's eight different things that I'm noticing, but that's not an exhaustive list. Uh, So the first that I noticed, obviously, in this passage was peace, shalom, that understanding that everything's going to be okay. I have Jesus here, much like the comfort of a father or a mother, somebody who you're really close to being present. Uh, In fact, Jesus actually says in John verses 16 through 7, I I need to go. In fact, if I don't go, the Holy Spirit, and I'm uh, paraphrasing here, the Holy Spirit can't come in essence. So I must go to the cross so I can rise again and you can receive the helper, the comforter he's also referred to as. Aside from peace, the joy of the Lord. The psalmist says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Amen. When Jesus breathed on the disciples, they, I, you better believe they were excited to see him. But to know that now he would never leave them or forsake them, that he wouldn't leave them as orphans, he said in a previous passage, gives them all the joy and comfort as if he was right there next to them. And let me tell you guys, we act a whole lot different in our own lives when we go home out of, out of church, when we realize that Jesus is right there. In fact, it says he's inside of you. He's alive in you. And the very thoughts that you have of God out of the Bible, that's faith. That's, that's him inside of you stirring up to remembrance the things and the truth of the Lord. Number three, the assurance of faith. And that's referenced over in John chapter 20. You will know that I am in you and you in me, that they may be one Father also as I am one in you. It's a truly beautiful passage. It's, uh, but the, the end of it is you know that Jesus is, is God. And you have that assurance that what he did on the cross for your sin, for your mistakes, for your addiction, it's done. And it's in him. And now you have this life in him that's totally secure. The sins that you once committed are as far uh, as as wide as the sea is, as far as the east is from the west. The revelation of who Jesus is, he'll open up scripture to you and reveal all these things. It says in John 16, 14 and also 17, 26. The ability to understand the Bible. It's almost like when Jesus came and they received the Holy Spirit, everything just opened up to them. And I'll tell you in my own personal experience. I was at Bible college. This is after I I believe the power of the Holy Spirit came upon my life. And for all these years of my youth, from 6 to 20 at that point, it was like I had all this head knowledge. You guys remember the Bible says knowledge puffeth up? It can result in pride if it's not in grace. 
And I believe most of my life, it was like this knowledge was put inside of a box. But there was a night, I remember very distinctly, about three in the morning, I woke up. And the best way I can describe it, I felt like a dam broke in my neck. And I had all this Bible knowledge from Awanas, from youth group, from studying at the college for a year, flood into my heart. I remember being on my bed and just saying, praise the Lord, praise you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, and just crying. It was the most beautiful experience, one of the most beautiful experiences I've ever had, and those continue on in my life. But it was very surreal. Uh, and I believe that it's a great experience that all of us can have as we understand the scripture. We take it uh, into our lives personally. Uh, number six, unity with believers. Uh, this was a big, even without me understanding the Holy Spirit, understanding scripture entirely when the power of the Holy Spirit came upon my life at 19, uh, I had a longing, an absolute passion to fellowship with believers. I set apart every minute of extra time to go to Bible studies, churches, to just be with people that wanted Jesus because I was so thirsty. Now, growing up, I, I had heard that people had this experience with Jesus where it felt very real and radical, and they referred to this as the honeymoon phase of your walk with Christ. And I'll tell you what, it's probably one of the most depressing things that you would ever want to step away from that. The, the phase of your life where Jesus means everything and all your heart says is all I am and all I have is yours, Father, it's yours, is the most joyful experience I believe a human being can have, the Holy Spirit flooding your heart in that way. Number seven, an authority and discernment from God. What you, you said what you, if, if anybody, if you forgive any sins, they will be forgiven. If you withhold that, it will be withheld. So there's a discerning spirit when someone comes up to you and, you know, they want to pray the prayer of salvation, so to speak. Uh, there might be some discernment in your life where it's like, you know what, maybe there's some ulterior motives here. Or, man, this guy's really on fire for the Lord. Let's, let's go baptize him, get him in the pool right now, and, and let's just walk with Christ together. But there's an, a supernatural discernment that otherwise the disciples did not have. And then number eight, a convicting gospel message. Jesus says uh, that uh, I will come and my spirit will convict the world of sin and judgment and righteousness. And so just as we live our days as believers, the fact that we hold a standard of truth, people don't like that. People like us to be fluid and go with the culture and go with the times. And if you remember when Jim was introducing me a couple weeks ago, one of my fears for, for the church that I've seen around me is a very progressive movement. Uh, progressiveness in itself isn't a sin by any means, but certainly when you take the scripture and you start interpreting it through the culture and you use improper exegesis or isolation of certain passages, you'll end up in a place where not only is your theology and what the Bible teaches is thrown out the window, but you're going to find that you're in bondage of sin. Because if you start taking passages of the Bible and you kick them to the curb, what else do you have but a God of your own making, an idol. This is the nature of idolatry, to say, take something that has an essence of truth and then make it something that is not the Lord by putting your own interpretations and desires upon it. Uh, it's a very interesting dynamic we have, especially with my generation. Uh, so that being said in church, I, I hear when I go around to, to some churches, they're, they're a lot more progressive, uh, it scares me because you hear these praises like, isn't the power of the Holy Spirit uh, just heavy upon us today? Or, man, this worship really brings in the Spirit of God. Can you feel it, church? Things like this. And not that those phrases have anything wrong with them, but I believe they do kind of misconstrue the person and nature of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit isn't there to make you feel good. 
He even said that he's there to convict. Now, certainly, you're going to have an experience with the Lord, and we're going to see where more than anything, you feel great because you understand you're a sinner, and his grace is completely overwhelming your sin like a mountain to a pebble. So let's look at the experience of Peter. And, and I had a hard time putting this word up here, disobedience. Uh, Peter, uh, the rock of the church, Jesus looked at him in his ministry and said, upon this, this rock, I will build my church. And after receiving the Holy Spirit, we see in uh, Luke 24, 49, as well as Acts 1, 4, Jesus told Peter, stay put. This is after he's appeared to them. This is after he's shown him his hands and his side. And Jesus told Peter himself, receive the Holy Spirit. So we know before this account happens in John 21, that Peter has received the Holy Spirit. He's received everything that we previously mentioned, the peace, the joy, the assurance, revelation of Jesus, ability to understand. He has all of that. And yet he says, I'm going to go fishing. And I can attest to this in my own nature. When you don't know what God wants you to do, when you don't have a sense of calling upon your life, you do what you're familiar with. Peter went back to his nets, what he was familiar with. Now, there's nothing wrong with having, in fact, the Bible encourages us to have a simple life, uh, just working and being an example of Christ. There's nothing wrong with having a great career. For me, my fallback was always construction. It became easy for me to do. Um, But unfortunately, when I went that way, it always seemed like I wasn't quite walking in the footsteps that the Lord wanted me to. It's familiar to me. And when you have familiarity, familiarity can breed contempt to the experience that you have of the gospel. Uh, Jesus gives the parable in Luke chapter 8 of the seeds that have been sown in the field and how the cares of this world can choke it out. Some of it gets choked out because it doesn't have any root inside of itself. And the others get choked out simply uh, by some activity that is otherwise uh, spiritually evil. But if we go to this passage, uh, and I'm going to summarize it here in Sirius because it's a very long passage. The disciples are fishing out on the water. And Jesus shows up on the seashore. And the disciples uh, seem to recognize him. And Peter just jumps out of the boat. He's excited to see the Lord. He's still a Christian. He's got the Holy Spirit in him. There's a witness. It's the Lord. Uh, Peter goes up. Jesus asks, hey, you know, can you have, you have anything to eat? Eats a fish with them. And you have this profound experience where Jesus addresses Peter's failure in a way to wait. Where he says, Peter, do you, do you love me? And the Greek word there, it's a great sermon to look at the Greek in this, is agape. A profound love that was even uniquely identified with the church in the first century. Do you agape me? Feed my sheep. Jesus says, you know, Lord. It's, it, and Jesus asked him again, Peter, do you agape me? Do you have this intimate revelation of who I am, this love for me and for my people? Feed my sheep. And a third time, and, and of course, we can remember how many times Peter denied the Lord with the crow at the time of the resurrection. Do you love me? He, he, and this last time he said, do you even brotherly love me? Phileo. Do you have this love for me like a friend even? And, and Peter breaks down and he says, God, the same words of Ezekiel with the valley of dry bones, God, only you know. That is a surrendered heart. That's a humble heart. And I'll tell you what, if you don't know where you are with the Lord in your life, tell him you don't know. And see what miraculous work he'll do inside of your heart to get you closer like Peter. But at that point, the disciples, seemingly according to the gospel of Luke, end up going back 
into Jerusalem and waiting, and just waiting. And then we have our account uh, later in the book of Acts chapter 2 of the Holy Spirit coming upon them. It's a profound experience. If we read chapter 1, there's another interesting dynamic, and I think this really applies if you're in ministry uh, or you're doing any type of formal ministry, I should say. Uh, Peter and the disciples went back to Jerusalem before the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them. They said, hey, Judas Iscariot, there's supposed to be 12. He's, he's, passed, he's passed away. He's gone. We need to replace this guy. Well, I mean, it's a good thought. There, there are supposed to be 12, uh, seemingly representing the tribes of Israel. You could get into theological discussions about, about that. Uh, but they appoint Matthias as the 12th. And fascinatingly enough, through the rest of the New Testament, we don't hear a word about Matthias. Now, going into the theological discussion of who are apostles and who are called to be apostles, they kind of had some criteria uh, back then, and the main one was you had to see Jesus. You had to be a part of his earthly ministry. So today, I I personally believe that there aren't modern-day apostles like there were back then, Uh, but Matthias met that criteria. He he was with the disciples. Uh, He had seen Jesus. He had experienced the upper room uh, and whatnot, but we don't hear his name ever mentioned again. But shortly after in the book of Acts, we see this man named Saul. And I don't know if you guys know much about this guy named Saul who later changes his name to Paul and the instruction of the Lord. Uh, but the rest of the New Testament, the good three-fourths of it, is written by the man Paul. And you can take it for what it is, but I personally believe that Paul was meant to be that twelfth. But before they received the Holy Spirit, they made this decision. And then, a chapter later, the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples in power. So let's go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2 and see what that looks like. And I'm going to turn there with you here. I don't have it on the screen. And when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, verse 6. And at this time the multitude came together. And they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished. Are not these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, I'm going to butcher this, Elamites, and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, uh, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and other parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene. All these places, they're hearing these the, the goodness and the praises of the Lord in their own native tongues. I want to make sure you guys understand this because uh, I do not believe that tongues is an evidence of salvation. It can be an evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit on your life, but it's not exclusive to that. Paul makes it clear in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14 when he talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So Aaron, you're probably asking yourself, what is the power of the Holy Spirit? If I'm saved and I have the peace, the love, the assurance of faith, all these eight things that I listed and and even more. Why would I need the power of the Holy Spirit upon my life? There's a distinction in the disciples. There's a distinction in the whole church after Acts chapter 2. And I'll give you this. It's to enter into God's calling on your life. Peter, feed my sheep. It's to help you obey the call of God. 
And for the longest time, I either didn't know the calling of God upon my life uh, during that six to 19 years or just didn't want it. And I think that was a little bit bigger for me. The power of the Holy Spirit comes upon your life to live a life that is distinctly identified with Jesus. The Pharisee said, it's obvious these guys have been with Jesus. They were uneducated. They didn't go to Bible college or seminary. They just spent time with Jesus. And the Pharisees in the world recognize that. And that is to be a defining factor of the power of the Holy Spirit upon your life. And it is there, the power of the Holy Spirit or the coming upon of the Holy Spirit is to re- there it's for you to receive the gifts of the Spirit directed by the Spirit. And that's extremely important. The Spirit gave them utterance with those words. The power of the Holy Spirit we see in 1 Corinthians and Ephesians and even Joel back there in Acts. All these gifts, teaching, preaching, administration, helps. Uh, The Bible lists what I've seen is over 18 different gifts. I think it's not exclusive to that. Uh, But there's a lot of gifts on your life. Do you guys know each one of you, God has gifts of the Spirit for you? Praise the Lord. I, I, so as you now know, I am not a cessationalist. If you go into kind of studying theology, there's a, a group of believers that says the power of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they died with the apostles. I don't see that in scripture. Some people might, but I see God using gifts of teaching and profiting, administration, pro- prophesying, administration uh, in various ways in the church, and it's a beautiful thing. The power of the Holy Spirit on believers... It's mostly, and this is, the, this is what I, it's kind of my litmus test for how someone walk with the Lord. Have they received the power of the Holy Spirit? You will have, I guarantee it, a radical, radical love for the person of Jesus. See, the Holy Spirit in, in, in John chapter 14 said, I will bear witness to, of Jesus, to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Because it's Jesus who saves us, it's Jesus who redeems the world, it's Jesus who's coming back, and we get to enjoy that kingdom with him someday, someday soon, I think. The power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and Jesus in chapter 17 of John uh, talks about the unity you will have with believers. He says you're going to be one in me as I am in my Father, but he also says you're going to be one with each other. This is a very interesting dynamic for our church here in America is we have these denominations. And I think one of the most heartbreaking stories I have, have read of is there's a man named Brother Andrew and had a powerful ministry in East Germany before the Iron Curtain came down, powerful ministry in China. And in going to China, uh, there's this recollection he has of meeting with a, a Christian brother, a pastor over there. And this brother, they had a very powerful, almost like an Acts experienced church where it's very sincere, just so much love for each other, for the Lord, protection for each other. And then American missionaries started coming over. And these missionaries brought their denominational distinctions, uh, passages of scripture that aren't necessarily rote truths. You must speak in tongues to be saved, things like this. And it split the Chinese church into segments. And I believe it grieved the Lord tremendously. And so today, if I can have an encouragement for us here, spend time with people in other churches. It's not about valley point. Your relationship with the Lord is about the glory of Jesus. So go into all the world and preach the gospel. Be the example of the gospel. And God knows the church needs Jesus as much as anybody else. In fact, in the book of Matthew, it says that he's coming back and he's going to start judgment. That's not Matthew, but uh, he's going to start judgment in the house of the Lord. That's terrifying. 
with Christians. And number three on here, it's to be an example, like I just said. Be an example to the world of who Jesus is, his love. Now today in this progressive church movement, we're, it's getting all about love and just receiving everything. But the reality is when the Holy Spirit comes upon your life, you're going to love what he loves and you're going to hate what he hates. And you will have a perspective of eternity. This life is not all what it's about. But I'm going to cherish it and I'm going to take the gifts and talents that the Lord has given. I would pray this for all my brothers and sisters and I'm not going to bury that. I'm going to let my light shine. I'm going to try to multiply the things of salvation, the, the gospel. And then lastly, the, call, the power of the Holy Spirit on your life is for you to walk in that calling of Jesus. Peter was a completely different human being after Acts chapter 2. And I don't know what that means for me and you because I study church history. It's one of my favorite things now to study is the working of God in the church between the first century and today. And I see all sorts of people with powerful ministries. In fact, there's a story I, I read, and I can't recollect where it was from, but it goes on to say a pastor was watching and observing this man in his congregation, and he stopped attending Sunday services. And his excuse was that God called him to do something very specific about compiling scripture. So for years, he really didn't attend church consistently. And I don't encourage that because the Bible says that your growth, it's kind of necessary to have believers around you because one, it's going to keep you accountable and two, it's going to expose some things in you as you serve that might not be right with the Lord. But this individual was called to do a work. We later go on to find out that that work was the book of James Strong who wrote the Strong Concordance, which is one of the most uh, profoundly used references to scripture in pastoral studies. It's a massive book and he wrote that during those years where God told him, lay aside your life and do this. So I don't know what the power of the Holy Spirit is going to look like as far as your individual calling is, but I know you're going to share the gospel, and I know you're going to love Jesus. I want to share. My perspective is not road truth, like I said, but there's a very powerful ministry uh, back in the, the 70s, uh, and a man named Keith Green. And I didn't hear about this man until I was in college because somebody said, hey, you sound a lot like him. Um, in the message that I was teaching to youth groups in various places. But uh, uh, this man had a very profound relationship with the Lord. And I just want to share with you a video that was taken right when color video was coming out of what he, uh, God told him Christianity was. I don't know what you think a Christian is. I've known so many people that think a Christian means going to church a lot. You may have heard this before, but going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. And saying a prayer don't make you a Christian. People in every religion pray. Even praying to Jesus doesn't make you a Christian. He says, many shall come in that day and say, Lord, Lord. He says, depart from me, I never knew you. Having the gifts of the Spirit or looking like you've got them doesn't mean you're a Christian. Jesus said, many shall come in that day and say, Lord, did we not cast out demons and heal the sick and raise the dead and all kinds of stuff? And he'll say the same thing, depart from me, I never knew you. You know what a Christian is? I've got a really good definition. Someone who's bananas for Jesus. Someone who loves the Lord thy God with all his heart, 
his soul, all his mind, and all his strength. Don't forget the second part. I had so many ambitions as a 19-year-old for my American dream life. Uh, but ultimately, God had a completely different plan, and I praise him. Because out of that uh, experience I had with the Lord came deliverance from massive sin, massive addiction. I want to share this. Um, I, as, a, as a kid growing up, I was a part of two churches in youth group. Um, and I didn't understand a lot as a kid. Again, I don't even know if I was saved. But what I saw was massive church splits. When I was in high school, junior high, I experienced two of them, and people were extremely hurt. I'll tell you, that's not God's will. That's not God's heart. Now, sometimes God will put animosity between brothers so that you can go. Some of those brothers are going to be church planners, and they need to move, but sometimes they might not want to move. But I'll tell you, church splits and divisions like that are never, never supposed to happen. Uh, in Bible college, and I'll share uh, kind of just the last experience of this, uh, I was in a, a very good congregation, um, healthy. We had a massive core prayer group of 30-plus people every single week. I was there for three years myself. Uh, God was speaking powerfully into my life. And at the end of that time in Bible college, we found out some stuff in the leadership of the church. And there was not from the uh, congregations wanting to, but many people in the church were asked to not come back. And I will tell you what, this is too common. Any hate or animosity you have toward a brother, it's your obligation as a Christian to go to them and make it right. The spirit in you will witness that there's supposed to be peace between you and the brothers in Christ. And when the world looks at us, and we have this label now as, as an American church of, of hypocrites, because we hurt people. But if you're hurt, go to your brother, you alone, and try to make it right. And I understand there's family dynamics. I'm not uh, probably uh, experienced with these dynamics as much as you guys are. Uh, but things really hurt, and sometimes it seems impossible to make them right. But I would encourage you to make it your goal to get on your knees and pray for those people and to love them radically. The church needs to be one in Christ. You see, there's a parable um, that I found fascinating, and, and whether it's prophetic or not, it's the parable of uh, the, the, the prodigal son. And we all know this story that the, the father gives him his riches, and he goes out, spends it on himself, his pleasures, his flesh. Uh, and then he comes to this realization as he's after he's sold himself as a, a servant, um, he's eating unclean animal food, pig food, and he says, you know, I'm just going to go back to dad, and I'm going to be his slave, because... That's so much better than, than being where I'm at right here. And I read that passage, and most of you read that passage, and the focus is on the son who runs away. But my fear for the church, and whether this is a prophetic interpretation or not, I don't, I'm not going to claim that. The older brother, the son comes home, the father puts his ring on him, gives him a feast, takes the fatted calf and slaughters it, and shows, throws this party, my son's home, my son's home. And there's so much rejoicing. And the older son comes up to the father and says, I've been with you this whole time, and you didn't do anything like this for me. You see, in the last days, Israel is going to know what they did to Jesus. They're going to know that they crucified their Savior, their Messiah. And it says in the book of Revelation that 144,000 of them are going to become evangelists. There's going to be a mass revival, we would call it, bigger than anything I've ever seen. And us as the church, and this is my fear, that the American church specifically is going to have the attitude of the older brother. And we wouldn't experience the joy of the Lord and the celebration of the Holy Spirit. 
everything that God had right here for us right now. When we said, nah, I think I'm good going to church on Sundays and, and just kind of living my own faith. And I'm, I fear that that is the servant that puts his talent in the parable of the talents in the ground. And the father comes and what does he do? He says to that individual, you knew I was a harsh master and you still buried it in the ground. You could have at least put it in the bank and made some investment on it. Don't bury the joy of the Lord in your life. If you've experienced the filling, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but haven't experienced the radical love for Jesus, this is my application for you. Jesus gave tons of instruction about receiving him. He said, ask and seek and knock. And most preachers would tell you, go home and pray about it. But I'm here to tell you, go home and commit to it. Go home and anything in your life that's not God's uh, sovereign uh, responsibility like kids, job, things like this. Anything that's distracting you from Jesus, put it aside. It's not worth it. In fact, I wouldn't want to settle for a life short of being full of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Lord and this excitement about who Jesus is. It's the most blessed life there is. And there is healing for your family in that. There is healing for you in that. Just ask Jesus, seek Jesus, and knock. And then he says, keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. And then in Luke, he says about the uh, judge, the unjust judge and the persistent widow, he says at the end of that passage, but who's going to have faith like this? Choose it for yourself. Choose this day who you're going to serve. Jesus, I just want you. Everything I have, everything I am, it's yours, Father. Amen. I'm going to have the worship team come up. If you haven't received this bananas radical love for Jesus, I encourage you to come up. We're going to have our pastor team come up as well. Some of our prayer warriors here. Come up for prayer. Ask. See what the Lord will do in changing your life. If you're in a broken church relationship with other believers, whether it's family or people that you've come to Valley Point from, this is the week to make it right. Okay? God has a plan for those people. Make it right as much as is possible with you so that you don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Your marriage. If you find your marriage is struggling because you have all these distractions in your life, I remember there was a point in Bible college where I had a phone and it was a massive distraction. I took that thing and threw it in the river. <laughs> that was a big investment at the time. But I want to be radical about seeking the Lord, and I encourage you to be. If you haven't found yourself being an example to the world or if you don't find yourself having a calling Ask him, God, what do you have for my life? And maybe some of you, that's the high calling of being a mom and a dad. And for others, missionaries, some pastors, some youth pastors, for some of you, it's just bringing tic-tacs to the pastor for after church. But it's a beautiful ministry, I'll tell you what.